Welcome to the Fitness Candor Podcast. Your host, Eric Feigl, will be bringing you the truth about exercise and the fitness industry. You'll hear from fitness professionals, exercise science professors and researchers, fitness industry entrepreneurs and leaders, as well as people who simply love to talk shop. Stick around after the show to learn how you can get your topic in an upcoming episode. Enjoy the show. everybody. Welcome back to Fitness Candor Podcast. Dr. Bryce Lee, the owner and manager of Strength Space, a private resistance training studio in Chesapeake Bay, uh, Virginia. Well, actually, did I get that right? Chesapeake Bay? It's just, just Chesapeake. Yeah, just Chesapeake. The Chesapeake Bay is a big place, but uh, yeah. Chesapeake, Virginia is near Virginia Beach in Norfolk down in the southern tip. Okay, so Chesapeake, Virginia, excuse me. <clears throat> Yeah. And he and he also treats uh, physical therapy patients uh, in, a, in a private setting. So I first started uh, following Bryce Lee on Instagram. Um, we just had a lot of a lot of things in common, a lot of practices, a lot of similar ideas. So we kind of communicated back and forth through there. And then I heard him on Lawrence Neal's podcast, the High Intensity Podcast, which really, honestly, to this day is one of my favorite overall fitness podcasts uh, episodes in particular just just the way that you kind of laid things out in, in, in your background which uh, we'll get to in, in a second but some of the things that were covered in Lawrence's podcast which I don't want to do too much overlap of was the political climate of physical therapy science the practice from physical therapy um, and how you've incorporated into your strength training services how to screen and work with injured physical therapy impaired a uh, physically impaired clients and then you kind of quickly discussed uh, tactics for optimal hypertrophy based on some of your your own uh, workouts and things like that so i highly recommend people check that podcast out i'll link that in the show notes for our discussion though we're going to be talking a little bit more about bridging the trainer physician gap which if you've been listening to this podcast for a long time you've heard me talk about that with some other other guests on here but i think it's very important not only for trainers and physical therapists but for people who are coming or going into the physical uh, physical rehab side of things, if you are, are injured or you were injured coming out of surgery, you should know that what to expect and maybe what to look for as you go into back into resistance training or maybe coming from resistance training and going into physical therapy. So there's a lot of things that we're going to talk about here. Uh, Bryce, welcome to the show. Thanks for joining us. I appreciate it. Hey, Eric, it's great to be here. Thank you. I've uh, enjoyed your podcast, and so it's a privilege to be here. Thank you very much. I appreciate it. Uh, so for a little bit of context, give us a brief, a brief background of yourself, how you got into physical therapy, uh, how you got into personal training, and we can kind of go from there. Yeah, sure. I, you know, I've always been somebody who uh, was not naturally gifted athletically and you know, had to gravitate towards training as a way to build myself up and, and improve my abilities. Um, I got into kind of traditional, you know, kind of gym bro bench and buys weightlifting in college, uh, got into kettlebells and then CrossFit and Russian kettlebell certification type training for quite a while um, while I was in the Navy on active duty. Um, and then I, I kind of started to accrue the badges of honor that sometimes that training entails, which means the shoulder labrum, the meniscal injury in the knee, impingements here and there. And I got to the point where I had, you know, respectable squat and deadlift and everything hurt pretty much all the time. <clears throat> so I, and I, I ended up kind of 
in a rut in my training. And then I discovered um, Doug McGuff's book, Body by yep. Science, which is sort of the you know, modern day handbook of high effort, low load um, resistance training, where the focus is on stimulus instead of performance. And that, mm -hmm. that stuck with me and really informed my training for a while. And then I, you know, I apostatized and went back to barbells and again, got hurt. And that was finally <laughs> the, the final, you know, lesson, not that, not that I'm against barbells, but that was sort of the final thing that really drove me back into more of a high intensity training, um, high intensity resistance training paradigm. All of that was while I was in the Navy. Um, and it was right towards the end of that sort of journey that I was making up my mind about what I wanted to do after active duty. I was a surface officer and I still am a reservist and a surface warfare officer in the reserves. But uh, I started thinking about medicine. I'd always been intrigued by medicine um, and I wanted to, you know, get into that space in a way that was not incredibly time arduous. You know, trying to become a physician in my late 20s would have left me finishing up in my late 30s, and that was quite a long road if I, was, if I even had the chops for it, but it was quite a long road. Whereas physical therapy allowed me the, you know, a way to be practicing somewhat autonomously within three years, right? Because it's a three-year doctoral degree after college, kind of okay. lets you um, get to the point where you could conceivably start a practice immediately after graduation if you felt up to that task, right? Uh, many people choose to kind of wait, but... Um, you know, I was attracted to the musculoskeletal system, neuromuscular disorders, strengths and principles of building strength. Um, and I still feel that the, the foundation of good physical therapy practice is helping people to feel strong and move well. Yeah. Um, obviously there's a huge amount of overlap between what I do, uh, especially because I'm not particularly manually intensive physical therapist with regards to using manual techniques with my hands, the way some PTs are, um, there's a lot of overlap between what I do and what a trainer does. And perhaps the only thing that really differentiates me from in my everyday work from what a trainer might do um, as a physical therapist is the kind of the complexity of the diagnoses that I'm working with. Okay. Um, but I also work as a trainer. I own a training facility, um, which is all one-on-one -on -one training. And some people gravitate towards it because they have a complicated medical history and they're really concerned about re-injury and they want to know that whoever they're going to work with has a an above average steeping in rehab sciences and other people are just interested in the efficiency that my approach brings. And so they're busy right. professionals. <clears throat> um, yeah. So it's kind of a, you know, not an arc that I could have ever predicted I would take, uh, but I really enjoy the work. I enjoy the business and I enjoy also treating patients as a PT, uh, physical therapy PT, because I know that acronym is confusing. <laughs> right. Um, yeah. But uh, it's a lot of fun. I enjoy what I do. I enjoy the gray area between the two do domains and uh, talking about it. So, yeah. Well, I think what's interesting, well, what's most interesting to me is you just, I'm starting to see, maybe because it's the realm that I'm in, more of these almost like hybrid training studios open up where if yeah. it's not necessarily the trainer and, and the PT being one person, it's the physical therapist being attached to a training site and maybe either the physical therapist has control over what kind of training goes on or you know it's just an easy access for the trainer to say hey if you do have something that we need to to fix short term or long term or whatever the case may be then I have a direct contact with the physical therapist that I trust so there's a lot of overlap there um, I guess which would be called like a hybrid uh, training studio PT studio physical therapy studio Mm -hmm. um, so that, that I like seeing that more often because I think what we're going to get ready to talk about right there is is a piece of um, 
you know, the bridging the gap scenario, but it's, but I still think there's some, some overlap that maybe could be, could be, could be cleaned up a little bit. I think maybe when, uh, and maybe you have more input on this, but a physical therapist might have so much control on the type of movements that uh, a person is going to be going through during their, their reintroductory to strength training that, that maybe limits what the trainer is capable of in terms of like redeveloping strength. So, um, so what, so one of my introductory questions to you would be what, what is something that a personal trainer and a client can do together if, if they both know that the, the client is going to be going into the, the physical training or the physical rehab side of things, the PT side of things, what are some things that those two can do together for, and I'll let you take the pick of what kind of injury you're dealing with, whether it's shoulder or maybe low back or hip knee, something that you see most common. What's something that those two can work together to, to make it easier for the physical therapist when they reach that stage? Yeah, that's, that's an interesting question. I think I'm trying to think about it from both ends, both that as the PT, the physical therapist, but also as the trainer. Um, of course. So I think, let's see, the question is, if I understand it, how can we prepare the client so that the physical therapist is working from a good foundation or maybe clarify just slightly for me. So what are, because I think when somebody who is either a client who is injured, Mm -hmm. let's say they go to a personal trainer to either get fixed because that's happened to me where they come like, well, you know, I had this nagging injury. I'm hoping you can help me get stronger. But maybe that trainer says, you know, actually you should go see a physical therapist. Mm -hmm. So those two are already working together, right? The the client and the trainer. How, how is that relationship? How can that be most beneficial before they get introduced to physical therapy? Okay. So then I think some of the, 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 the concepts that a physical therapist wishes their patient would already understand coming in are an understanding that um, people need to be ready to work hard, right? Okay. Um, yeah. People need to... Um, understand and take ownership in the same way that they took ownership of their health when they came to saw you, the trainer, they need to take some ownership about selecting the right physical therapist, right? You don't just go, you don't just um, go to the closest dentist to your house. You usually do a little shopping around to find a dentist that you like. And the same thing goes for a personal trainer. For some reason, people don't really think about physical therapy that way. They just go to wherever's closest to them or wherever their physician says, oh, well, I usually send people over here. And so I think, you know, being treating, looking at physical therapy as not a um, procedure, because it's not a procedure, but as a discipline with a big variety of approaches within it, um, that can be really helpful. So that's something that you as a trainer could prepare your client and say, hey, look, who you pick as a PT is just as important as who you pick as a trainer or a dentist. So understanding that um, and preparing your client to understand that they're going to go in and their the, the the scope of treatment the direction the treatment takes that specific body region is going to be up to that physical therapist but i think if you talk to the patient ahead or the per, the client ahead of time and say hey I, what i'd like to do and you should talk about this with your physical therapist 
what I'd like to do is to continue to train your legs and your, your conditioning, and we'll find ways to do that without aggravating your shoulder while you're doing shoulder rehab. Or we'll continue to do everything we can around your back injury while you're doing your back rehab or for your knee. In other words, setting an expectation ahead of time that continuing to exercise is still appropriate. Um, it can help to do that to have your own literacy on, on sort of systemic inflammation and you know, signaling molecules produced by muscle from exercise. If you can talk a little bit about those things and say, hey, this is going to accelerate your healing if you stay fit during this process. It's really helpful, right? Um, you know, any physical therapist worth their salt is going to be happy to know that this person is already an enthusiastic exerciser and, and respects the, what a, a personal trainer does, in my opinion, right? If I get a patient and they say, hey, I've been working with a personal trainer and all these things, you know, that's great because now I know, okay, well, there's a continuum here. You can come to me and I know you have somebody you already trust you can go back to. Back to. Because the worst thing as a physical therapist is to work with somebody and then to hope that they're going to go and continue the exercises, continue the, the, the rehab after their therapy is done, but they have sort of a maintenance program that they're on, a home right. exercise program or an exercise program. And it's just an unfortunate reality that most people are not going to comply with that. But a person who invests right. in themselves with a trainer is likely to comply, right? And so maybe just helping that patient or client understand before they go to the physical therapist to say, hey, Go to your physical therapist, trust them in this process, be choosy about who you go to, and then let your physical therapist know that I'm here. I'm here to help you stay compliant for the next two years after you're done. Set the expectation ahead of time that one of the goals of therapy is for them to find out and report back to you and to maybe even have you be in touch with their physical therapist so that way you guys, it can be very cooperative. I don't think any, any physical therapist, any modern physical therapist is going to balk at an interdisciplinary approach. You know, so long as there's no, yeah. so long as you don't get in there and try to do your own rotator cuff program on top of their program, if it's a rotator cuff injury, and you at least wait for the physical therapist to sort of release that person, and you're not competing with each other, right. it can be very collaborative. And a phone call is just the easiest way to deal with this. I mean, no physical therapist is going to get upset if they get a message at the front desk of their clinic saying, hey, so-and-so's personal trainer just wants to make sure they're coloring inside the lines of their rehab program. That's, that's good news. They want to hear that. Yeah. They want to know that, that, that their patients are going to do well afterwards. So, Well, that, that actually leads me right into the next question. I think you kind of, I talked about this with uh, Simon Shawcross, who you might be familiar with also, mm -hmm. about how to actually contact uh, the physical therapist. And you kind of said that, you know, just let them know that you want to color inside the lines and that you are on the same team. And it's not going to be this, hey, once they're released from you, now you're on my turf. It's not yeah. like that. It should be an open playing field, lots of communication, month to month, week to week, however you want to set that up as you know, the clinician and, and the trainer. So once they are in, let's say, going into, into physical therapy, you've made that call, what are some things that the, both the trainer and the physical therapist can work together uh, to improve the client's overall success rate? How often should they be in communication? Um, when should... When should that progress between uh, strength development and rehab start to overlap? Yeah. <clears throat> you know, part of the answer to that question is going to come from understanding the, the specific PT to the extent that is possible, the specific physical therapist that you're working with and around, right? So you might be working with somebody who is maybe very old fashioned with their thinking, or maybe they're 
totally a cardio yoga person and you happen to be a strength training coach, you know, and that, that's just the reality, right? It would be no different than if I was trying to give some insights on diet to a client and my client's physician was a vegan and I had a different perspective, you know? And so you can understand, did, we, did I lose you there or are we still there? I think we're still going. For some reason, it, it kicked me off and then pushed me back on. So I think, I think we're good. Last, yeah, yeah I continue. I think we're yeah, good. Sure. Yeah. So, so I, I think, you know, it, it, you kind of have to initially go in with a very sort of soft touch approach and just let the physical therapist or whoever you're working with know that you're there, know that you care about this patient and you want the best for them. If there's anything you can be doing or any guidance they can give, you're, you're glad to hear it. Um, the paradigm that that physical therapist is using and approaching from both a treatment perspective and a payment perspective could really influence this as well. So for example, mm -hmm. when I see patients, um, I'm, a, I'm a cash practitioner, which means that I don't, I don't have a relationship with any insurance companies, okay? Um, and so because of that, I'm not relying on physicians referring patients to me. Most of my patients come to me through word of mouth. And so my, my reputation is everything, and part of my reputation is efficiency. And so I am incentivized to see people as few visits as possible. Because even though yeah. I'll make, obviously, less money off that patient, I'll have more referrals because of that, right? Yeah. So, so in that case, if somebody says, hey, I, I'd love to come four times, and, I, and I'm going to keep working with my personal trainer, I'll say, awesome. Here's what we're going to do. Here's what I want your trainer to do. Here's what they can do with you. Here's something that I want you to do on your own. And this is the thing that I want you to only do with me, and I'll be very clear about that. And that's great because then that's most value for the patient. The patient doesn't have to triple their weekly expense by adding all this extra cost of physical therapy. Um, and they save their time, right? If they're um, not having to come to me three or four times a week and just coming once. So right. understanding that there are PTs out there who operate like that and they tend to be kind of in the cash concierge space of physical yeah. therapy um, sort of changes things. You can kind of choose who do you want to refer your, your clients to right? And understanding that a person like that is probably going to be very keen to have an interdisciplinary approach. A, a physical therapist who's older and an exercise enthusiast, you might have a great relationship with, whereas you might have somebody else who has sort of a, you know, approach of, hey, anything over anything, a bar, you know, nobody needs to be, they just need to be stretching. Nobody needs to be lifting heavy weights, just like anything, you know, so you kind of need to be thoughtful about who you want to refer your clients to in the first place. Um, yeah. Okay, now let's say you don't have any control. The client has gone to their physical therapist that their doctors, their physicians sent them to, and now you're working with this person. Um, I think just getting, getting your name into their space early, just saying, hey, I just wanted to let you know, my client who came to me today told me that they're also seeing you for physical therapy. I'm not gonna be doing anything with their, and then insert joint here if it's a particular joint. I just want you to know that. But if there's any other things that you'd like me to think about, or if there's any insights you might have about how I can continue their cardiovascular conditioning, strength, whatever, I'm, I'm very open. I would really be grateful for your time. Otherwise, I'm just gonna respect your space and I'm gonna try to, I'll work around, I won't go anywhere near that particular injury because that's what you're working on. Just letting them know that I think is gonna make it, um, it's gonna, it's a, you're playing a long game, right? Because you're reducing the odds that that person is going to go through their course of physical therapy and walk out of there with a blanket recommendation, hey, don't lift anything over 10 pounds, right? That's what you don't want as a trainer, right? 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 And so how, do you exactly. so how do you prevent that ahead of time? The way you prevent it ahead of time is by sowing these seeds in the physical therapist or physician's mind that they understand, oh, when they're done with me, they're going back to somebody who is smart, 
and who is going to take care of them. And if the, if the person, if the, the clinician knows that about this patient, they're less likely to try to cover their butts by saying, hey, don't lift anything over 10 pounds, right? They're not, they're not going to yeah. feel as strongly incentivized to over, over guard this patient against themselves if they know that there's another well-intended person who's managing their strength and their, their journey. So, so I think that's the way to, part of the way to think about all of this is even if you can't do a ton with the person while they're in there, if the, yeah. if the therapist at least knows that you're going to be there to receive this person back on the back end and there's a continuum of care, you can kind of head off some of those overprotective guidelines that, that we, it's easy to get, right? Yeah, and I think, I think you hit it on the head. It's, it's that safeguarding that, that uh, we have to deal with. I mean, me, mm-hmm. me, more, me more, more probably than you, but as a trainer specifically, when someone comes in, they'll say, well, uh, especially if it's someone that, if it's a long-term client that for some reason that like, you know, falls off a bike and they, they, they hurt their shoulder and they want to go to, to physical therapy for a particular reason, they, they kind of already know and they come back what to expect and they, we already have that relationship. But if it's somebody new coming to see me and I'm already, and they're already finished with, with rehab, that's when, I, that's when I start to hear those kind of comments that you mentioned, like mm-hmm. only lift five pounds overhead. And mm-hmm. they already get it in their mind because they had been working with that physical therapist that, well, the physical therapist said, that's it, five pounds overhead, I can't do any more. And we know, let's just stick with the shoulder joint. We know how beneficial a shoulder press can be. We know how beneficial some other shoulder exercises can be. So we'll try to like, from my point of view, I almost try to like, I used to try to manipulate that. Like, okay, we're going to do some lateral raises. We're going to do some rear delt flies, maybe some manual motions so I can get a little bit, a little bit more, um, a little heavier training mode. Yeah. Yeah. Training load, a little more uh, intensity out of them. So it's almost a way to like trick that person, which in the short term is beneficial for the long term. You still have to press eventually, I think. So, so this kind of leads into my the the third and final of my uh, my my three piece series I guess that I really wanted to hit on is how from a a trainer perspective would you recommend reintroducing strength as a concept post rehab? Yeah, yeah, and so it's tough if you're the only voice advocating for that because for whatever reason the other people they've worked with haven't right, and that that's a reality unfortunately I think. I think younger, and I hate to say younger, because it's not about age. But I think, right? I think that 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 the, the this generation of physical therapists that are coming out of physical therapy school now, many of them are an exercise part of an exercising culture, right? Whereas I meet physical therapists who are from previous generations, and it just you know exercise was not as much of a a staple part of their life. You know, I, I know, you know physical therapists who are graduating today, I'd probably, for most of them, the idea of not having an exercise program is hard to imagine. Whereas maybe 25 years ago, that wasn't the case, right? And so that doesn't, it's nothing about age. It's just sort of a generational thing, exercise in general for, for people, you know, in this kind of particular age, you know, generation, you know, mid twenties, early thirties, kind of new graduates, it's just more prevalent, right? So, so if it's all up to you, right? And you, you're dealing with a person who was not, who didn't have strength training emphasized to them, it's tough. And I think I like your, honestly, I do like your approach of thinking, well, okay, how, how can I be creative and find ways to load them without actually, without actually violating this precaution. But right. I think, 
I think the only way to really be act in the best interest long-term for your client is to, to give that physical therapist a call. And it helps here if you can prove you're knowledgeable, right? And so right. You, know, you, you don't want to overstep and, and say things that sound smart but are wrong because then the person who you're talking to is going to be like, oh, great. Now we're my client, my former patient, <laughs> Jane, is in the hands of some guy who thinks he knows what he's talking about, right? But if you do know your right. stuff, if you're – you know, you've, you've, you've done your homework. I don't, I don't really care if you've been certified or not personally, if you know what you're doing and, you, and you've done the homework. And if you say, hey, you know, what, what, is, what exactly is the precaution? Are we trying to protect a particular tendon in the rotator cuff? Is it labral instability? What is the, your specific concern with a 10-pound weight precaution that you're trying to ensure? Is there a particular number of degrees overhead that we have to avoid? And if you can ask those kind of questions and get the dialogue going, even if it's just a five-minute phone call just to understand, I think the physical therapist is probably a little more likely at that point to then, again, say, oh, this person's working with somebody who I could talk to, who's going to take what I have to say on board. That might be, they might be a little more comfortable to say, hey, Eric, you know, I, 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 here's what I'm really worried about with this person. I'm worried that they're going to continue to impinge, right? And so if they continue to impinge and maybe they're going to abrade their biceps tendon or whatever, whatever their particular pathology that they're concerned about is, um, that if they can explain that to you and think that you understand where they're coming from, then maybe they'd be more uncomfortable saying, so really that's what I'm concerned about. I just told her 10 pounds because I didn't want her to overdo it. And then you can hear that. And then you can say, okay, well, do you mind if I tell her that I'm going to do X, Y, and Z? And they might say that's fine. So I think it's just dialogue, right? And I mean, yeah. what, what better way to build your own professional network than to have a good reason to call a physical therapist or a physician but common yep. interest of a patient, right? You call them and say, hey, I just, you know, I, you did a great job with this patient. She's in so much pain before. Thank you for taking care of her for me and for doing, you know, getting all this progress. I'm just wondering how I can continue her progress. What do you think about this? Help me understand your thinking. Um, you know, if, if they don't think you're challenging them and they just think you're really trying to understand them, just like it's human nature, they're more likely right. to, be, to work with you and to give you something that you can both, because I'll tell you, you know, most physical therapists today who are working as an employee, right, they're not strongly incentivized to see people come back quickly. You know what it's I mean? True. Yeah. And so yeah. what they really want is they want people who are going to get better and stay better. And most right. physical therapists who are in business for themselves are really relying on word of mouth referrals. They're not going to get any word of mouth referrals if the people are hurting again six weeks later. So. Right if they understand that what a person really wants is to get back to a level of function, right? Then they're going to understand that somebody having somebody like Eric out there who can help them maintain the gains that they had in therapy is huge for them. It helps their business. So I think that's just, it's that sort of alliance that you need to, there's no way around doing the hard work, right. of being on the phone with these people, right? being on the phone with, and the physicians too, same deal, right? Being on the phone with the physician and, and what better way to get your name into that person's head the next time somebody tweaks their ankle or has an yep. issue, finishes physical therapy. You know, I remember he lives, she lives actually close to this other patient of mine. I wonder if Eric could see her too or right. whoever is the trainer, right? So I think that's just how it's just being acting in the best interest of that client is just the best way to build your own trusted agent status in the mind of these clinicians out there who you want to work with. So I'm going to take it one step further then. How do you, as both the trainer and the mm -hmm. physical therapist, if you were going to load somebody, let's say, and I'll let you, I'll let you pick 
Well, let's just, let's just stick with the shoulder and I'll let you pick the injury that maybe you see most common. Um, how do you in particularly over a period of time progress, progress a client in terms of, of, of weight load? I know that's a very broad, like very broad stroke. So I don't know if you can pick a particular um, shoulder, whether it's like a labrum issue. Um, you know, sure. if, if you see that, like how, how do you appropriately load going from five pounds to 10 pounds, 15, mm -hmm. all the way back to like a decent pressing weight, whatever that looks like for that person? Yeah. Um, yeah. So shoulders are tricky. And in yeah. fact, I, I think pain is very tricky, right? Um, because on top of all of this, we're dealing with the complicated issue that you can have pain after tissues have finished healing. Mm, yeah. Right? And so then what do you do, right? How do you get this person's shoulder to tolerate the load again? And it's not necessarily about promoting healing. Maybe the healing is happening just fine. How do you avoid re-injury and, and promote load tolerance? So <clears throat> I'll just give a very common example of, of a type of situation I see. A person right, tries to lift their arms sort of forward slash out to the side a little bit and they get pinching, right? Ouch, right? And there's a lot of things that could be going on there, right? And it's not really, I'm, I'm less concerned with what the specific issue is. Um, and more concerned with what motions they can't tolerate. Yeah. Yeah. So then the goal is how do I get, how do I get them back overhead again? Personal approach that I really like in a situation like that is um, a lot of times you'll find that a person who can't deliberately lift their arm over their head can actually tolerate um, having their arm go overhead during a pull down motion. This is just an example. Okay. Right. Because if their rotator cuff is doing a poor job of restraining the head of the humerus down as they lift their arm overhead and keeping it from rolling up into the structures above it, the acromion, the end of their collarbone, if the rotator cuff is not doing a good job of that, then as they lift their arm overhead, they might impinge. You know, these structures run into each other and tendons yep. get squeezed. But the lat is a very powerful humeral depressor, right? The lat latissimus dorsi is this huge muscle that can pull down on the, on the proximal upper arm bone, the humerus, and keep it away from the acromion. And so I, I see this all the time where a person can't lift their arm overhead, and I hand them a pull-down exercise at the bottom. And I say, okay, let's just go up as high as you can. And sometimes they can't go up very high, but sometimes they can go up full range, and they're astonished to find that they can go up full range. Right. So, so that's, again, that is not a prescription for how to just treat shoulder injuries, right? But, you know, consult your medical professional. But it's what it's right. to say that what I do is I try to find everything they can tolerate and progress it. Right. And I says, I, I, I think, I says, I think, <laughs> you know, how do I, how do I crowd in around the one little thing they really can't tolerate and build tolerance by load or ROM and everything else to improve yeah. their capacity? You know, the, the analogy I like is, you know, we have a tent and one tent pole has punched through a grommet and is sticking out of the tent. And so you're not gonna be able to fix that grommet until you make all of the other tent poles bigger. And that lifts the canvas of the tent up above the hole. And now right. that tent pole, you know, so that's, that's sort of the, the analogy that I like. And so I try to get all the other tent poles bigger. Okay, well, they can't lift their arm overhead, but I'm gonna make their pulling exercises stronger. Maybe I can progress horizontal pressing with a neutral grip, elbows to the sides, maybe they can tolerate that. So I hunt for every little thing that they can tolerate. We yeah. do that, you know, and then, because the reality is that, you know, sometimes you can have a person who, you know, they, 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 they pick up softball game Sunday and now their shoulder's killing them. Acute right. issue, they need to see a professional, okay? But you can have other people who, 
you know, look, hey, Eric, I've already been to physical therapy six times over the past five years. My shoulder just sucks, man. What am I going to do? I got to work out, okay? And, and that's, those people are at a point where maybe there is some savant rehab professional out there who can fix them in a weekend. But I mean, the reality is that maybe, you know, they're just the kind of person who you have to work around and manage an issue rather than focus on solving it. Right. <laughs> and so then that's, that's my approach is let's find everything you can tolerate. And I mean everything, every little motion, every little exercise, you can do a curl for that shoulder, great, we're doing curls. You can do tricep pushdowns, good. Oh, you can't do straight shoulder extension, we won't do that. But you can do you know, external rotation at the side, not up here, and you just really build all the strength you can build around the problem, okay? Yep. I find that to be a pretty helpful way, framework of how to manage a troublesome joint when the trouble is not an acute problem that started suddenly, it's yeah. a problem that's just nagged at this person for years. I mean, I would always say if you're the first, if, if it's the first time you're seeing them, you want to say, hey, look, I, I must recommend that you get that looked at. But you're going to get people back from physical therapy who have residual pain. That's just sort of, maybe it's just arthritic and it's just, yeah. you know, it's not going to be fixed overnight, right? Yeah. Maybe, maybe they, uh, they understand that they have some instability in their shoulder. And they have been told by a physician or a physical therapist, hey, you know, we're going to keep it as strong as we can. One day you may need surgery. Okay, great. So then their goal is just how do I avoid provoking it? So like I said, you, you, you identify methodically the things that you can tolerate. You progress them as much as you can. Don't overthink it. You know, just what can we do that doesn't, pay, doesn't hurt? But that's, I think, that one insight of finding ways to get overhead in, the least, in a pain-free way um, can be really helpful. Sometimes a person can't go out, but if they take a very narrow grip, they might be able to lift something yep. light overhead. So just, just playing right. with every little thing, finding what they can do. Yeah. I think that plays into a lot because, um, and that makes me feel better as, as someone who, you know, like yourself, who sees those kind of things all the time. But, you know, as, as a trainer, I, I only see these people for a limited amount of time, hour, hour and a half a week, sometimes two hours mm -hmm. a week. And they come in and they, a lot of people expect to be healthy and back to, back to that, like within, you know, a matter of weeks or a matter of workouts, because to them, if they come to see me twice, well, they've lived the rest of their week. They've only seen me twice during that week. And they're like, why, well, this is my second time here. I, why am I not feeling better? And it's that, like you said, you're, it, it, from a trainer's perspective, it's almost, you have to find that way to say, Hey, it, it might take a while for that to heal. We might be dealing with X, Y, or Z. We have to pull somebody else in. In the meantime, you can still perform these other exercises that are also beneficial and are going to keep their joint, you know, mm -hmm. intact and healthy. And um, and don't be afraid. I think as a trainer, to point out to somebody, you know how it it's uncomfortable if you press overhead, but look your how your range of motion is improved when you pull down overhead. So giving that uh, feedback to to the client is just as invaluable as valuable. And I know that you can uh, back this up. So listening to your podcast um, on the high intensity podcast, you talked about like having that positive um, internal dialogue and what that can do for a person's outcome. And we know how important that is. So if the person keeps coming into, into, uh, into you as, as a trainer and they keep having that, that self, that negative self-talk and it's really impacting their life, it might be up to us, the practitioner, to say, you know, I understand you're frustrated that you can't do this one thing. And if, if, the, if you can point out five other things that they can do really well, even if it's unrelated to that joint, 
I think that in the long term can be very beneficial and build into your value as as a, as the trainer, as their coach, and as someone who ultimately is going to help them, you know, move again and become better. Yeah, and I, you know, I if a person approaches routine tasks in their life assuming they're going to be hurting afterwards because they have this sort of mind frame of fragility, you know, right. they probably are going to be hurting afterwards. Right. You know, how they, how they approach yeah. that, that mental, you know, that mental part of all of this and, and is, is very important. It's very easy to know that and then to say the wrong thing to a person and make, give mm-hmm. them the impression that you're suggesting that any of this is in their head. And it's not that. I mean, this is, this is worth podcast after podcast of in, its, in and of itself, the discussion of pain. But the mm-hmm. idea that, you know, your, your, your body's always looking for contextual information to decide whether something is dangerous or not. And if part of that contextual information is, you know, Eric, do you believe that your back is crumbling due to osteoarthritis? Well, if somebody's ever told you that because they saw an x-ray of you and they said that to you and they put that thought virus into your brain and it's gnawing at you, you're going to be in more pain. You're going to live your life afraid of degeneration and of injury, and you're going to be on guard to the point where you're going to be hurting. So as a physical therapist or as a trainer, as important as it is to get a person stronger, it's important to, that they feel stronger as well. That's so important that they actually have increased confidence in their bodies. Yeah. Crucial, you know? Yeah, yes. You know what brought, brought to my mind is, uh, and before we jumped on the podcast, I, I mentioned to you, how I wanted to reach out to you about uh, this particular person that came in today. And he mm-hmm. told me, he, I don't want to share too much of his details, but he told me that his doctor told him over two and a half years ago, before he had a procedure done, that he had the spine of an 80-year-old. Yeah, that's and, so and, uh, and, uh, Well, yeah, but listen to this, though. I train 80-year-olds that are extremely strong. Yeah. And so in my mind, I'm like, what does that mean? We're, we're expected to be super weak at 80? Like, that, yeah. that puts, that puts uh, lumps everybody into this weird – like, when does that hit? You know, like, if you're 20 – 20 something years old, you're an athlete and somebody says to you, well, you have the spine of a 65 year old. I train some pretty freaking strong 65 year olds. I got a guy who do, who does, you know, dead hang pull-ups who's in his sixties. Like, what does that mean? So this is all, this is all coming from a very strange place. I think we need to, as practitioners, we need to restructure the verbiage that we use with our clients and realize that words matter. What we say to people matter in terms of not just being, being friendly, but, in, in terms of what their body can handle and what their body can do. I'm looking forward to continue to work with the person I told you about and eventually say, Hey, you know, when your, you know, your doctor said this and look, this, this doctor probably saved this guy's life by giving him this procedure. But, but when your doctor said that you can't do these three things, I, I think that you're capable of doing these things and building, like you said, you're building the framework around, um, this person's workout and his internal dialogue on top of things that he's capable of doing. I mean, who knows where this guy's going to be in three, six, nine months of training. You know, he, he could mm-hmm. be, he could be in a totally different mindset by then. Yeah. And you know, there's a, a huge movement in the sort of rehab community, physical therapists, some physiatrists, you know, um, sports medicine type doctors and, rehab physicians um, against that old guard way of thinking, right? That old way of thinking is um, we got to keep this person from breaking down any further. So let's scare the heck out of them so that they don't hurt their bodies anymore. And it just has that old way of approaching the patient has disastrous effects. Um, You know, we, 
we convince them that their bodies are falling apart. We use terrifying language uh, to try to scare them straight. And the result is that these people stop exercising. They sit on the couch, right. they get sick and weak and unhealthy. Um, and then their condition is much worse. And that's just so prevalent. And so right now, there's just every, every day I'm looking at a, at a post by a physical therapist or a DO or an MD who's kind of hip to this, who's talking about how important, like you just said, the words matter and how, how yeah. crucial it is that you, I mean, that's, I mean, I think that is even in part why we're seeing a lot of discouragement against imaging for back pain. Um, you know, it, if, oh. you know, you know, if, if you do an MRI of every 25-year-old in a, in a one-mile radius of where you are right now, half of them are going to have some disc degeneration, maybe even some mild herniations here and there. But many of those people who have that stuff aren't going to be in any pain at all. There's going to have no dysfunction. And, you know, the key takeaway is that what you see on an image is not necessarily a good predictor of this person's risk of future problems, of their condition. A lot of these things are just like wrinkles. They're just incidental findings. So what? It's not meaningful. But it's so easy to do that image and be like, aha, I found the problem. You have the spine of an 80-year-old. And it, it's, yeah. it's almost like if you, if you conceptualize yourself as the healer, then it feels great to scare the person into how bad they are and then fix them and make them feel great gratitude towards you, right? If you conceptualize yourself instead as a guide who says, hey, I'm going to help you navigate your way out of this, well, then the last thing you want is for them to have this negative self-talk, like you said. So, you know, that, that language is, is key. You're absolutely right. And, you know, you want to be cautious about referring your own clients to clinicians who have an extremely, we use the word structuralist way of regarding pain. You know, if somebody, if your client says, comes into your clinic and says, oh yeah, you know, my, my back is, is out. I need to get it fixed by my insert provider here. Or yeah, you know, my, and they, my doctor told me, like I just said, like you just said, my, you know, that I've got the back of an 80 year old or that I'm going to need a knee replacement in a year. And you say, well, is your knee really hurting you? And he said, well, a little, but he says it's really bad. You know, what, what favor has that person been done? So you need to think yeah. about how are you going to establish relationships and be choosy about your mutual referring relationships with clinicians who get it and who are yeah. hip to this idea that it's about establishing physical and psychological robustness, right? And not this sort of debility, fragility mind frame. Yeah. And I, I think you hit it on the head with all that. And I think it's a, a good place, good place to wrap up. And sure. if anybody, if anybody has any questions, comments, concerns, what's the best way to get a hold of you? Um, well, I'm on Twitter. Let's see if I can remember what my Twitter handle is. <laughs> um, I think it's E. Bryce. E is an echo, Bryce Lee. I'm pretty sure that's it. Um, and then uh, you can go to strength-space.com, strength and then a hyphen and then the word space.com. Um, or I, you know, I, I'm sometimes active on Instagram at uh, strength space, one word, and then the letters VA for Virginia, strength space VA. So, you know, I, you know, I like the socials and I'll, I, I like interacting on this kind of stuff, mostly on Twitter, because I like discussing these kind of things with people. And if you follow, if you look at what I, who I follow, you're going to see all the people I'm talking about, the people who are really keen on this pain science, proper language with patients, oh, establishing good. confidence language. Um, yeah, happy to talk with anybody. Awesome. Awesome. I hope they do reach out. Dr. Lee, thank you so much for doing this. I'm glad we made it happen. And, uh, Hope people do reach out to you and we'll talk to you very soon. Yeah, I look forward to it, Eric. Thanks. 
Thanks for listening. Don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe wherever you listen to your podcasts. If you'd like to suggest a topic or be a part of the show, get in touch with Eric on any social media platform at Eric Feigl or email fcp at ericfeigl.com.